Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. This is a bi-weekly podcast where each episode, Lornette and I will be discussing and questioning conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. You can follow us on Twitter at QCulture and Facebook at QCulture1. That's Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. There we share the links to the documentaries, articles, and books we reference in each episode. On today's episode, we'll be questioning the military-industrial complex. How's it going, Lornette? Hey, what's up, Brian? We are definitely um, going going big today. We've been... <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is like 20-something-plus episodes in the making to, to get to this point. So uh, I'm thrilled to be uh, questioning the military-industrial complex. But uh, before we do that, I want to thank all the listeners, the folks. We, we, we're almost at 1,000 plays, which is, which is crazy, so somebody's out there listening to our, our crazy rants but we do provide solutions and alternatives so we're not just like raging against the machine without offering solutions so that's all i like about the question culture podcast um because a lot of people criticize you left just never have any solutions and the solutions are quite simple and then when, when you bring up those solutions people are just like well that's pie in the sky <laughs> all right but it's okay that we just bond and shell of each other but like it's pie in the sky to be like maybe we should try diplomacy and maybe you know not spend all the money on the military and maybe use that to lift people across the globe out of poverty in the united states give people health care a living wage um access to free trade schools and college public colleges and also provide you know cheap and subsidized child care for parents so they can go to work and support themselves but, you know, people will be like, that's time in the sky. But anyway, Lornette Vestal, uh, check out my website, um, The Evolving Man Project. Check out, uh, follow me on Twitter at Evolving Man LBV. You can check out me at, check us out on Facebook, Lornette Vestal. Also, Question Culture on Facebook and Twitter. It's coming soon to YouTube, hopefully. And also, you can check out my first debut novel with my lovely wife, Bernita Haynes, called Even the Faders, completely independent. You can get it on any bookshop. And you can get it at Powell Books, and you can get it anywhere books are show, sold, even the Great Satan Amazon. So um, it's independently published, cover art by yours truly. Uh, check it out. Um, it's a sci-fi novel uh, featuring a black queer um, female superhero. So it's just in time for Pride Month. So check it out, and happy Pride also. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, every topic we cover on this, you know, we're questioning conventional wisdom on every episode. So I feel like every episode is taboo. Um, but in some weird way, this one felt a little more taboo than the rest. I think, especially in American culture, just any kind of questioning of the military in any way is, you know, seen as like, you hate America, or you hate the troops, or, you know, something like that. Um but to the contrary, it's actually because I care <laughs> about the lives of the people that we're sending all over the world um, to, to basically do things for rich people. So I think it's, you know, even though it might be the most taboo, it's probably the most important thing to question. Um, and I, I just want people to keep in mind that it's not when we're quite Lornette and I, we, we, we question systems because we recognize that nobody is an individual and in an island of themselves. We're all connected. We all influence each other. So you know, just like with any other industry, like I don't, 
I hate the healthcare industry, but I don't hate nurses. I hate the education system, but I don't hate teachers. Similar with the military, I hate what our military is doing around the world, what it's become. But that doesn't mean that I wish, you know, any ill harm to the, the people actually serving. Because um, there's a lot of people, you know, reasons people serve in the military. Yeah, yeah. And um, how can I hate uh, fellow service members when I was uh, one myself? So um, I before... The, the 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 right wingers i guess <laughs> as we grow a larger base and um if if more and more people start listening to us uh, which i which i hope um because you know we're, we're just exchanging knowledge and uh, raising consciousness and you know we're offering solutions and you know we're putting our money where our mouth is but i, I was a, a sailor in the u.s navy from 2001 to 2005, aboard the USS Cleveland, uh, ship serviceman, petty officer, third class. So I you know, served during our Operation Iraqi Freedom. So I was uh, personally directly impacted by the, the war on terror, which um, you know kind of gave the military industrial complex like the, the biggest shot of adrenaline it's ever had. You know, instead of just having random wars to stop the so-called Red Scare and the commies, we're going to have endless war and we're going to have a war on an idea, not even a war, a proxy war with another nation, but the war on terror. So it's an idea. So the old saying is one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. So and terrorism in, in essence is just an idea. Whoever defines what terrorism is. Yeah, so I mean, we normally start with history on this episode. Um, what we're doing now, you know, questioning the military-industrial complex. The military-industrial complex is kind of a current thing, um, as we'll get into. You know, Eisenhower, uh, President Eisenhower, really kind of coined the term, and it kind of shows the modern evolution of what you know the military is, what the weapons industry is, because. Um, you know, we've as far back as, you know, since the Neolithic Revolution, since the uh, or the agricultural revolution, um, humans have been fighting with each other over property and over resource control. But now what we're seeing is this new evolution where really war is being fought just for the sake of war, just so that, wep- you know, weapons contractors can make money, that these companies are so big and so profitable that they really just use all their might and power to start wars just for the sakes, you know, so that they can sell some missiles. So it's really kind of a a new stage of warfare and <laughs> pretty pretty dark one at that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's quite disgusting. And um, like we said, we we have we'll have resources and stuff like that posted on our Twitter and um, in our Facebook. So we'll have articles, books, things like that linked to you know this this podcast when it posts next Monday, hopefully. And our folks can you know look through those sources, you know. Some of them are very left-wing sites. Some of them are very mainstream sites. And some of them are um, books written by actual service members. It's a couple of posts that I wrote from my experience um, in the military and kind of what it what it meant to me and kind of reflecting upon that time in service all these years later and basically being in a war <laughs> serving 20 years ago and now having nieces and nephews who joined the military um, due to kind of you know various reasons. Poverty draft is one of them. Um, not knowing what to do with their life is another, but you know they each add their own reasons. But now they're fighting the exact same war that was raging when I was, you know, in my early twenties and late teens. So it's quite insane. And I think it's kind of a a perfect example. Like if you look at these wars in Afghanistan, you know that we, you know, two generations now could have been fighting in. 
if you ask most Americans, like, why we're over there or what the goal or objective is, I don't, you know, I don't think most people would have anything to say, like, oh, oh, except, you know, to keep us safe. That's what I find with, you know, people who don't question that, you know, what our military is doing. It's just, oh, it's just about freedom and safety. Um, but I don't think you can say that if you pay attention at all to what actually is going on. Um, so let's start. I mean, I was trying to, you know, the military industrial complex, I just looked up kind of a general def- definition, what your phone says, if you ask, you know, what Wikipedia says, and it, it defines it as the relationship between a nation's military and the defense industry that supplies it seen together as a vested interest, which influences public policy. Um, oh, that's a much better, better definition than the one I get. Because <laughs> I got is a nation's military establishment as well as the industries involved with the production of armaments and other military materi- materials. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's basically talking about the relationship between a nation's military and the weapon, you know, the defense, def- they're always called defense, <laughs> defense contractors, the weapons contractors that profit, you know, from funding the military. Um and really, the, the discussion of this really started happening after World War II, um, when the U.S. became the sole superpower. I mean, there was there was Russia. So that was kind of the initial, you know, reason because, you know, the, the powers that be are always there always needs to be a reason to go to war. Right. So there has yeah. to be a reason to, you know, ramp up weapons. So World War Two had, had ended. You know, the, the world was supposed to be living in peace at that point. Mm-hmm. But now we have another boogeyman. There's another country as powerful as us. And, you know, it led to kind of a crazy escalation of, of weapons and the production of weapons arms basically the arms race and what's really interesting is it really well i think we talked about this on an earlier podcast i think the red scare the new red scare is that you know the united states and the allies depended on mother russia to to fight off the nazis and russia suffered some of the the heaviest casualties as a nation um a civilian and, and military population um, trying to you know hold back the Nazi uh, advancement into into the interior of Russia, uh, twenty million Russians perished uh, during World War II, and at one time we we considered them allies, but because they had a different economic system, you know we turned them to our enemies, and they're communists, and we're capitalists, and we believe in freedom. They believe in total total totalitarianism or authoritarianism. They're godless, yeah, they're godless heathens who hate a hate and they kill Christians and all that crazy stuff. And and as Brian and I have stated time and time again, we are not <laughs> caping for the Soviet Union. Um, they were a nation or a region of the world that had many issues, but so does the United States government. Because at the time they were like waving their fingers at the the Rush, Russians. We still had Jim Crow because it was the 1950s, <laughs> and then we went on this whole McCarthyism to you know blackmail and blacklist prominent individuals, scholars, intellects who question, you know, the American war machine or question inequality in general because you were called a commie. Um, nowadays, they just call you a socialist because, they, you know, commies, I guess, is fell out of, fell out of fashion. So now the thing is to call you a, a socialist. It was in the, the primary season of Bernie, bro. Bernie, bro, how dare you want everybody to have health care? Bernie, bro, it's pie in the sky. But we can, we can build another nuclear bomb. That's not pie in the sky. <laughs> And a nuclear bomb is pretty complicated to build, I can imagine. But, you know, given everybody health care, you just cut out the insurance industry, the middleman. And just like how people can go get their fucking COVID shot, if they need a flu shot, they have a cold, they break their leg, they can just go to the hospital. Doctors patch them up and send them on home. And the doctors still get paid money. Oh, my God. 
just like they do in other countries with universal healthcare system. But the but the Cold War really started with the space race. In 1952, Russia launched the first satellite called Sputnik or Sputnik or however you call it. It's a kind of a cute name. It's like oh, it's like it's like a, a, a type of potato or something like that. But it was the first satellite, and the American Americans freaked out like oh my god, the Russians are sending stuff to space. They're gonna have a bomb in space and they're gonna kill us. <laughs> so that started the space race. So the age of uh, space exploration was really jump-started by the Cold War and the military. So it wasn't the humans looked up to the stars and wanted to see, wanted to travel the cosmos and, and explore what was out there, like Star Trek would have you believe. Nope. We had to beat the Russians. Yeah, it was really, the reason we went to the moon was really like, an, was because of the arms race. It was like a show of military might, you know, like, look what our weapons can do. All, all beware, <laughs> which is funny. It's ironic. You know, they had that plate that they put on the moon that like we came in peace for all mankind, even though the reason we're here is because we're racing to develop the best weapons to blow each other up. Yeah. Sounds like, like freedom. <laughs> the, yeah. The irony of it is kind of funny. And um, I do recommend people to it's Operation Paperclip, too. Right. It was the name of it. Um, <sighs> no, Operation Paperclip was actually. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, Operation Paperclip. Is basically after World War II, you had the fall of um, Nazi Germany, but they had a lot of you know scientists who were you know, <laughs> and they weren't directed towards Nazism. They would have you know shot rockets to the moons, and I, I forget his name. It's a, it's a, it's a scientist who was responsible for like the tra- mapping out the trajectory and developing the rockets, even though those rockets end up dropping on London instead of uh, the moon. And he's like, well, I missed my mark by <laughs> a few thousand miles. And it, I know the, 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 gosh, the name will come to me after this is over. But he was a famous Russian, mean Nazi scientist who basically the Americans, you know, made a deal with. We did a deal with lots of um, Nazi scientists to come here and work on our uh, space, mean space program and, and our military to develop weapons and to, you know, ensure that we are the most mightiest military so we actually invited in nazis and this is not a conspiracy theory this is you can research this operation paperclip hell you can go on the cia website and they'll talk about it so this isn't hidden knowledge we're not trying to we're we're so smart look at us we know all these things this if you get access to google and the internet you can find this or you can go to your local library and 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 search some books and records on this so we're not pulling we're not making this shit up i wish you could mean, it's a fascinating sci-fi tale or something like that but it's it's actual truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's more horrific when it's actual reality. Yeah, it, it, you know, <laughs> you know, it's not as cool as like Magneto and uh, the X Men First Class <laughs> hunting down Nazis, Nazis and shit like that. Who like or or ass like fucking mur- murderers, so he like hunts them down with his mutant powers and takes them out. Yeah, that would have been a cool movie if the movie was just that. I mean, the, the X Men First Class is pretty cool anyway. But it's nothing. It's not cool like that. It, it's actually horrifying we took people who probably did very horrible things who did do horrible things and we're like well you know they're smart so (laughs) so come make weapons for us (laughs) come make weapons for us okay and you know they they made gas chambers and shit like that so you know making bombs and they made bombs to drop on you know fellow you know europeans so what what more than drop bombs on the rest of the world and we'll use your expertise but that kind of fueled the, the funding of nasa back when nasa was really funded now you know Military and NASA is separated, although it's doing this weird merger with the Space Force, which is perhaps that sounds like satire. It just sounds like 
the Space Force. Yeah, mm-hmm. Space Force. It sounds like some futuristic uh, Starship Troopers fascist type of shit. Oh, we'll join the Space Force to fight the bugs in the galaxy far, far away. Aye, aye, sir. And people in power have been trying to do that for a while. You know, the Space Force idea is not new. Reagan had called it Star Wars, you know, that we've been wanting to <laughs> expand weapon production to different places, you know, for a while. Um, so I guess Bill Reagan will roll, will smile in his grave knowing that we're finally going to start working on that laser beam from space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, so we have the after World War II, we have Operation Paperclip, we have the arms race with Russia. Um, and really what that started to do was weapons, just producing weapons became extremely profitable. Especially and there, nu- nuclear proliferation. Yep. And there was a high demand for it. So President Eisenhower, who, for you know, for all his asshole things, at least he did serve in World War II. And I think the destruction of seeing war firsthand kind of stuck with him a little bit. And he noticed, um, you know, this escalation in, in war and weapons manufacturing. And so in his farewell speech as a president, which we'll, we'll share the full speech. Um, I also have a cool metal song <laughs> that I'll share that kind of has it at the end. So if you don't want to watch the whole, the whole thing, you can kind of uh, see a snippet of it. Um, but he coined the term military industrial complex. And I just want to read the, the, a quick um, quote from, the, from it. Um, yeah, go he ahead. Said, he said, uh, we annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. The conjunction of an immense military establishment and large, large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, state house every office in the federal government we recognize the imperative need for this development yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications our toil resource and livelihood are all involved so it so is the very structure of our society in the councils of government we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence whether sought or unsought by the military industrial complex the p- potential for d- the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. And ba- basically what he's saying is he's noticing that, you know, the, these weapon contractor companies are becoming so powerful, they in they are influencing all, you know, they're lobbying all aspects of government. Um, and the, that it's really, you know, we're becoming a society of death. Just sole purpose is to create weapons to destroy ourselves and destroy other people. And I think it can't go unstated how much this has seeped into all aspects of American life. I mean, I even think about, you know, Bernie Sanders was supposedly, you know, this champion of the left, this democratic socialist. But if you notice in all his speeches, he never said anything about the military. He never questioned the military industrial complex. And you know why? It's because Vermont has a lot of jobs tied to the military industrial complex. So he's not going to talk shit, you know, for something that funds his state so well. So, you know, even these so-called progressive politicians, none of them, you know, you you can't find a politician, you know, maybe they'll they'll make a comment here and there, but politicians have always been doing that. You know, every politician gets elected saying they're going to end the wars and none of them ever do. And it's because the money influence just, you know, <laughs> yeah, the government is being lobbied by the, you know, weapons contractors and the Pentagon is bankrolling them and subsidizing them and we we got it we we got a we got a new war we got to go and also companies benefit from that because like if you read the shock doctrine um, creating a state of disarray into these different nations you can go in you know with you know contractors and all those other things to rebuild things 
bring in American companies to, you know, rebuild the nation and sell them things. <laughs> right. The rebound everything. And it, it's a it's, a, you know, as long as it's destabilized, destabilized, you can you can keep on selling weapons. You can sell weapons to both sides. Uh, that's the funny thing about the very first Iron Man movie. Because um, like Tony Stark is like the CEO of Stark Industries, and they're basically a military contractor. And he was like so shocked to find out that not only were we selling weapons to the Americans, but we were selling weapons to the so-called terrorists. And I was just like, they fucking all do that. The United States is one of the largest arms dealers in the world, just like Israel and the UK and France. Like, so obviously they're not just selling it to each other; they're selling it to any you know rogue agents, terrorists, and people are like this is hyperbole, Lord. It, but now it's. it's it's the truth. I mean, it's it's a great you know fictionalized version of this called the uh, what is it Lord of War or God of War? No, it's called the Lord of War with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, Lord of and, War. You know, yeah, it's a, it, and then it's another one uh, with uh, Jonah Hill. I never saw that one. I think it's called War Dogs. So you know they talk about how like they sell weapons to everybody and shit like that. And you know as a business person, you don't give a shit as long as they got money. So <laughs> they exactly. could be you know a so-called terrorist cell, or they could be you know a, a, a authoritarian government. I mean, come on now, the United States propped up. Uh, we sold Sadano's chemical weapons that he, to go to go to war with Iran in the seventies and eighties, and then we're like, oh yeah, it's chemical weapons. Well, yeah, we sold the shit. We got the receipts. <laughs> well, that's the same thing with Osama bin Laden. He was uh, he was paid by the CIA to fight the Russians. Exactly. And then he turns back and uses that knowledge, of, you know, knowledge against us when he sees that the U.S. is basically just trying to control what Russia once controlled. Exactly. So it's it's called blowback, and the CIA knows it. But I mean, the prime example is World War II, December seventh, nineteen forty-one, the day that will live in infamy, uh, when Pearl Harbor was attacked by the Japanese. Well, fast of white Rewind back almost to the date, not a, to the date, but almost to the year. Uh, almost a century level late earlier 1848 the united states sent their i think pacific fleet <laughs> to japan and said open your doors to trade or we'll fucking bomb the shit out of you <laughs> and then you know that became the trade deal between the u.s and china japan and japan adapted the western military and, and that was the end of the the reign of the shogun in the in the samurai and you know, we showed them how to fight war, you know, traditional Western way. And it came back to bite us in the ass because you, the Japan by World War II wanted to control the the flow of resources through the Pacific. And, <laughs> and that's why America got into the war. It wasn't like, oh, my God, Hitler's bad. We need to stop him. It was like, no, the Jap- Japan attacked us because they wanted to control the goddamn flow of resources. And that that's our fucking backyard, motherfucker. Well, that's what's so frustrating is, you know, I mentioned earlier the myth that so many Americans believe is that, oh, we're over there spreading freedom or protecting us or fighting us, when really all this foreign intervention that we're doing, all this behavior is actually, like you said, causes blowback and actually ends up hurting us. So, you know, it's the exact opposite. We're not over there making things safer. We're literally making it more dangerous just so that people, you know, just so that weapons contractors can profit off it. Yeah, and if we want to fast forward in time... um to the to the 1980s and the fall of the Soviet Union. So you had the Cold War, and there was multiple proxy wars fought wait, across wait, the globe. Wait, yeah, wait, let me let me guess. So the Soviet Union ended, and since there was no other big military, that means everything was good, and everyone lived in peace for the rest of the time, right? Next 30 years, that's what happened, right? <laughs> yep, yep. We lived in an age of Aquarius, and we we traveled the universe, and we you know provided for every single. Uh, human being and we you know combated climate change and we lived in harmony with the earth and all the creatures 
And yeah, we, we spend all our money on education, infrastructure, and housing and feed the homeless and, and make sure every child goes to bed with food in their belly. So yeah, we're done with this podcast. You know, pie in the sky has been achieved. <laughs> let's go to the beach. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go have a beer to go to the beach. No, um, so the Soviet Union collapsed. And what's really interesting, and I think Naomi Klein goes into this in great detail better than I do in her book, uh, The Shock Doctrine, which I bring up a lot in this podcast because it's um, if you want to know about you know U.S. foreign policy uh, over the last you know sixty years, that book is a great, great, great. Um, look into that and there's other books and stuff like that but when the soviet union i think it was was it gorbachev was it president yeah, so the, yeah i think i was gonna ask you the same thing yeah i think it's gorbachev yeah and and he was thinking to model russia as it you know was kind of you know poland seceded from it and other you know ukraine and all these countries are gaining their independence from the soviet union and he wanted to like take russia and make it model in the in the way of um the, the scandinavian countries so he wanted to kind of have that but the Russian model and <laughs> the Americans was like, fuck no, <laughs> we're like, we got oil and we need to like, we're going to have the oil oligarchs and the former KGB agents, you know, run your, run your, run your company, right. run right. your country. Right. I mean, company, right. I mean, country, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you guys got oil motherfucker. So all that good oil in Siberia, we, we're not going to have you guys be like the goddamn Finns and Danes and Swedes, Swedes. Uh, not say those countries are perfect because they have their problems, but, um. Yeah, they were used pushing towards a, a more democratic socialist type of model, and they were like, "Nope, you guys are going to be an oligarch, oligarchy." Yeah. Not only that, setting up their government in that way, but also, um, at the time, and especially Reagan, outwardly towards the public, had um been talking that he was very interested in de- de-escalating the nuclear arms race and and kind of pulling back on. A nuclear arms manufacturer, but you know, and basically get the Soviet Union and the United States to agree together to pull back on these things. But really, behind door, closed doors, he kind of never made any meaningful change in that direction, and actually refused a lot of offers by Gorbachev to do that. Um, and that's a common thread because you know these politicians, when they're speaking openly to the public, they have no justification. What for? They they can't come out and say, "Oh no, my friends at Boeing need to make some more missile money, so we're going to do this." You know, they can't say that. So all presidents outwardly since World War II have been very, oh, we're anti-war, we're going to stop the wars, blah, blah, blah. But behind closed doors, they're doing as they're told. They're expanding, you know, military interventions and weapon production as much as they possibly can. Yeah, and what people need to understand, you know, because people are like, oh, Brian and Lurnett, you just, you just goddamn, you know, just so radical. Oh, my God, I do you say these things. And, like, the president, you know, they have limitations and checks and balances. And we're not saying that the president is this all-powerful entity. Uh, the president really is just the manager of the empire. And the system and how we have it set up in place is what maintains this ecosystem of military and government and defense industry and war that, you know, becomes profitable. Um, and, we, you know, we claim, oh, it's for freedom, it's for to liberate those people, blah, 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 blah. This is a authoritarian government and they're so evil and we got to stop them but we usually go there and install a public government to like who's even worse than the government that fell in most cases and never the government that the people of those countries that we invade really want because if people <laughs> just imagine you know there's a lot of inequality in the united states and just imagine if china and and france came together and was like you know what we need to, you know, liberate those Americans. Look, they got 400 billionaires that own all the goddamn wealth over there. We got to overthrow them and overthrow their goddamn government. 
Let's go there and help the Americans have a revolution. Most Americans would not accept that because they're like, hell no, we can, if we want to, you know, change things, we can do it ourselves. And I think that goes for most people who, you know, form these collectives we know as nations. And, you know, it's just a fucking idea. The land changes over, you know, the millennial. But the, you know, the ideal of a nation state is just, you know, a bunch of people agreed upon this. This is what this is. So if they want to change some shit, those people will come in there and, and change it themselves. They don't need an outside entity coming in and be like, all right, we're going we're gonna to change it for you. <laughs> well, we're going to help you guys. And they will be greeted as liberators. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not our place to be policing the world and telling other countries how to run their government. That's for the people of those countries to determine. Yeah, because we need to point the, that big finger at ourselves. So, yeah, yeah, you know, that's, right. that's kind of like a brief history. Oh, well, and then we got to go into... Go, yeah, and then you have the modern finish. time. Yeah, the oh, modern yeah, the, time. The rise of just... the endless war. So, yeah, that's the, that started with 9-11. So, let's kind of talk about 9-11 a little bit. So, so, the endless war is perhaps... The war on terror is perhaps the greatest boon uh, since World War II in the nuclear, in the space race, to the defense industry. And this is just some numbers we're going to throw out there and some, some, some stats. So federal contracts, contractors, and their profit from war. So since the 9-11 terrorist attacks, the Pentagon has paid $3.3 trillion to defense contractors, almost as much as the entire, what the entire federal government spent in the fiscal year 2012. Now, before 9-11, 2001, in 2000, but before that, um, the Defense Department uh, contractors' profit totaled in $147 billion. So it was a lot of money, but, you know, $150 billion compared to $3.3 trillion is, you know, a vast difference. And these are numbers we're talking about that are, you know, the average person doesn't deal with these type of numbers. This is numbers when you're a mathematician or a physicist or something, you're dealing with trillions and billions. So it just kind of becomes, we don't really, we just kind of get a gloss over our face once we get past like a hundred million dollars or we get into the billions. Once we get to a billion, you're like, oh, okay, that's a lot. And then you go into tr- trillions. It's quite a lot. So contractors have profited a lot off the war on terror. And the thing is, like I said earlier, the war on terror is an idea. So these wars in Afghanistan in Iraq have been raging for a better part of 20, 21 years. So the war in Afghanistan, after the 9-11 attacks, we said bin Laden attacked our country. He was in Afghanistan. The Taliban ran Afghanistan. They were horrible. They were terrorists. They, you know, were oppressive. And then we went there and tried to, you know, give them freedom. And this is a part of the world where Alexander the Great tried to conquer. He failed. <laughs> I think the, uh, the Romans tried to conquer. They failed. <laughs> And then, you know, the modern times, the Russians came in. They failed with a, with a little bit of assist from the Americans. And we thought we were going to beat them, and we haven't. And what's really interesting is um, one more thing about uh, the war in Afghanistan. So the Defense Department decided to use money as a weapon systems. So this is a little tidbit of knowledge. During the decade of war, the Pentagon gave more than $2 billion to commanders to spend as they wish, or broadly, and it was broadly defined as a grab bag of urgent humanitarian needs. The goal was to gain support from locals from both the U.S. for both the U.S. military and the nascent Afghan government. 
it was what the military said money has a weapon system so what they were is paying off different tribal chiefs and and, and and local leaders and lords throughout afghanistan to you know be on their sides but the thing was and and, and i you know i serve with you know marines who are actually there on the ground and i still work with veterans in my in my day job when i'm not you know destroying america on this podcast and you know, some of those soldiers, like we had, you know, bags full of money. We were paying off these, you know, uh, tribal chiefs and stuff like that. But we were really just settling, you know, centuries old, you know, beefs. And they were like, no, he's a, he's part of the Taliban. No, they're, they're, they're Al Qaeda. They're the, so, so they were really like, you know, playing games and like, you know, taking his money and doing whatever they wanted to. And I think there was a Vice episode where they, they said that they lost like $20 billion or some shit like that. Just like, it just disappeared. <laughs> we don't know what happened to it. It was like, are you fucking serious? Like, people who listen to this podcast who work at a nonprofit or a for-profit organization, just imagine if you lost $100,000 or misspent it or, like, it just disappeared. They'd be investigating you and they call the cops and think that, yeah, you must have stole that money. So, $2 billion? Just, yeah, well, use it as you feel. And then you got billions of dollars that unaccounted for during the war in Afghanistan. And we're not even talking about Iraq and what type of Miss money mismanagement went on there where I'm pretty sure it was skimmed out the top by uh, well, people in these can companies. Can you imagine just like living in these places that have been under occupation have been being bombed for, you know, 20 plus years? Like that's what's so fucking dark about this new evolution of war is like in the past, all right, we were fighting over resources. So a battle would occur somewhere, uh, you know, the whatever government would take control of the resources and then life would begin to go back to normal. But now what we're seeing is really, and I like to use the term that uh, the journalist Chris Hedges has has been coining is um, their sacrifice zones. And that's really, you know, whether it's where an oil spill is and, and, you know, doesn't get cleaned up, whether it's, you know, a ghetto somewhere where it's been purposely the profit has been stolen from there, whether it's a war-torn area like Afghanistan, they're really just sacrifice zones for capitalism. So it's like, okay, we have weapons contractors, so we need to drop these bombs so it seems like using, you know, racism against brown people, we can just keep bombing the shit out of these people and no one will care. And, you know, it's similar to our last episode with Israel, you know, with Israel and Gaza and just killing the Palestinians. It's really, literally like we're creating these just pockets around the globe of just sacrifice zones where we just bomb and destroy everything. And everyone there just lives under this like horrible occupation indefinitely. Yeah, it's it's basically really living in a dystopian dystopian. Yeah. Um, you know, where everything is just kind of in a constant state of collapse. And that's kind of what the shock doctrine gets into is it's like keep giving these shocks to the system. And the, the war on terror is like the ultimate shock because it's like you can fight this war forever and there's no end in sight because you always would be like, well, you can always move the target. <laughs> you know, like with Afghanistan, their Afghan papers came out a couple of years ago, which was actually some surprisingly good journalism by the washington post and it conveniently came out around the holidays which is ridiculous <laughs> it came out like the end of 2019 you're just like what oh, this should have been you know in october or something which they could have released it but that's what the editors you know did to like because you know it held the bush account- bush administration accountable for lying about the war in afghanistan the obama administration for lying about the war in afghanistan and also the trump administration so when people are just like, oh, my God, like, you know, you got to vote for the Democrats because they're good, too. And blah, 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 blah. They're just as hawkish as their Republican counterparts 
And if you read the speeches from Eisenhower compared to like um, Kennedy, the favorite liberals, favorite old school president, fucking Kennedy sounds like a goddamn, you know, just a, a super. He sounds like a Republican. He's always like, we need to bomb the Russians. We need to show them how strong they are. And the motherfucker almost had Armageddon with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Biden just increased the military budget more than Trump. And, oh, yeah. You know, and he's no talking shit about China. That except for these weapon contractors. Yeah. Exactly. So like you said, nothing will fundamentally change and we'll keep the party going past the crystal. So when people are like, oh, you know, these are you're just complaining because you want purity politics. And like, you know, it's just you want people to be perfect. No, I want to be hold these motherfuckers accountable because they're elected officials. And it shouldn't be this revolving door from the Pentagon to the military to the private you know, industry and back and forth. And it's just a, an endless circle. Did you want to talk? Should, can we dig into that a little bit? Because that's a yeah, huge go ahead. piece to this and why this is happening. Yeah. So um, like Lorna just mentioned, the revolving door, there's basically this wide open revolving door between private weapons contractors and U.S. top Pentagon and U.S. government positions. And they're basically just, you know, washing each other's hands of this. They're um, so um, and this is um, this was actually from a military website, the De- Defense News. Um, but it was talking about the revolving door between those. And it says um According to the Project and Government Oversight Report, there were 645 instances of top 20 defense contractors in the fiscal year 2016 hiring former senior government officials, military officers, members of Congress, and state legislative staffs as lobbyists, board members, and senior executives in 2018. Of the Defense Department officials that moved to the private sector, a quarter of them which was 95 went to work for uh for the top five american defense contractors lockheed martin boeing raytheon general dynamics and northrop grumman so literally what you have is you have people you know and this is vice versa you have people who work in the defense industry and are trying to you know like any worker does do what's best for their company sell 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 working with people in the government and then if they're done there then they go work in the government and and then work with the people who the company they just came from or vice versa they're working in the government they're working with these defense contractors then you know maybe they lose the next election their terms up then they go to work for the defense contractors because they know how the government works and they know how to benefit the company the company the best so really like these two groups are just working in you know in tandem with each other to yeah one hand washes the other or has lawyers say quit pro crow and we have that with our new defense secretary. What's what's his name again? Oh, I can't even remember. I, I I hate remembering the names of assholes and having them like occupy my brain space. <laughs> I know, I know. But he was a general in the military uh, when he got out, and then he ended up working for Raytheon, and now he works as a defense secretary. So obviously, he's going to give his his former company <laughs> some sweet, you know, some sweet contracts. Um, and probably I feel like give him all bonus. the most recent, like the you know the. Anyone who like works in for the de- defense department or you know in, in the in the cabinet for the president, they all come from defense contractors. Like every single one, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a straight up revolving door, and it leads to kind of the Pentagon subsidizing these weapons con- these weapons industries, these weapon defense contractors and weapons industries to you know create this kind of you know ecosystem. Even kind of what Brian talked about earlier about. Um, Bernie Sanders not being critical of the military industrial complex. And what happens is these defense contractors and weapons makers will have different parts of like a, a system built in different states. 
in different you know districts so those congress people and, and government officials would be like well we got to keep these jobs here so we can't we can't we we, we make the we make the the top of the bomb here we make the bottom of the ball bomb in like you know upstate new york <laughs> and then we we developed the uranium in nevada but you know we got the the fusion site and you know texas so yeah it's, well, and and, well, and what's so frustrating is P, this is this is indirectly so i feel like most american citizens don't recognize how badly this is robbing them you know they're oh well it's peaceful in my suburb so like everything's good but literally you are getting robbed every day. All your tax money is going to pay these weapon contractors to bomb people you've never met. And it's literally an incredible amount of your money. I mean, Lornette touched on it, but the Pentagon started doing an audit of itself. It's failed every single year that it's done. And it's found, I think it was in 2019, they found, I think it was $35 trillion unaccounted for. Something insane. I don't know the time period that was covering, but I know it's trillions of dollars per year. So basically, you're think about how much money, you know, our tax money is. That's taxes that should go to schools, that should go to hospitals, that should go to road, roads, should go to you for medical care. And it's just going to fucking bomb people. Every time you pay taxes, like a majority of your tax money is going to bomb people you never met. And exactly. So it's, it's but Brian, but Brian, but we, we, we are, it's progress. All right. The progress. Now we have girl boss CEOs of defense defense industries. Oh my god! Progress. Yeah, did you did you see that too? Raytheon just put a little rainbow in their logo too. Oh uh, yeah. Well, you know, um, we we support the LGBT community and we also support bombing them with everybody else across the globe because we believe in freedom. But uh, has at the start of two, 2019, four of America's top defense companies were led by women. And here are their names. So Kathy Warden, Norgrope 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 Group, pronounce that incorrectly. Something like that. Yep. Uh, Marilyn Hensaw, Lockheed Martin, Phoebe Nova 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 Kavacek. I think that's how you say it. Nova Kavacek. I think that's how you say it. Nova asshole. (laughs) General Dynamics, uh, Leanne uh, Carrot, Boeing Defense space and security and nova nova check uh made 1.2 million dollars in 2018 and miss marilyn henson she made 20 million in 2018 Ooh, that's some good children murder money yes but it's all women now so see progress brian they broke the glass ceiling and the shards fell down on the people of the world, of the nations that they bombed. <laughs> Progress. I am so happy. Just like Kamala. She's the first African-American woman, also Indian descent, and Jamaican, who is the, our, our vice president. So when those bombs drop, those kids in Palestine can know that those bombs come from the president, Joe Biden, who is a decent man, according to Bernie Sanders. And, and and the squad, you know, AOC gives him an A. He's exceeded my expectations by bombing everybody and also keeping the children in cages. Uh, a decent man he is. See, but at least it's not Trump. Um, and and Kamala, he's a he's a black friend, so like you know she can join him too and be like, there's no more racism, and you were gonna keep keep those kids in cages. <laughs> and we're gonna get the cost more money, and we're gonna we're gonna increase the defense budget. Uh, vote, vote, but the, don't worry. We'll do, we'll, we'll do lip service. All right, it's Pride Month. We'll go to Pride Parade, and we'll also let the LGBT community join the military again and let trans people serve openly, so they can go overseas and blow up little babies too. 
Um, so poor people can fight, you know, poor people from America can go over across the globe and fight poor people in those countries for the benefit of rich people everywhere. And I think people forget, you know, we get so lost, especially because these weapon contractors, you know, they control the media now too, whether through advertising or through direct ownership with, you know, their board members sitting on the boards of, you know, media giants. But so we're constantly bombarded with this propaganda. And I think people forget that you know like why like why are we even going to war i mean after you know okay even let's say russia was a threat which they weren't let's say communism was a threat which it wasn't well that supposedly ended in the 80s so since then theoretically we shouldn't be bombing anyone right yet if you look at the stats you know we've intervened and by intervene i mean overthrown the government of over 50 countries around the world since World War II. And I'll share the list of all the different places we've been to because, of course, that history is hidden from us. But, but Brian, isn't, are we just spreading freedom? <laughs> that's, what I, that's what is so frustrating is, like, how little you have to pay attention to, like, actually think that that's – I mean, and that doesn't even make sense. Like, you give people freedom by shooting bullets at them. Like, that doesn't make sense. If we were dropping We overthrow tyrannical governments and give them freedom because <laughs> right. no one wants to... Li- right. Look at Venezuela. There's bread lines there. I mean, there's bread lines in Texas, but that's different. <laughs> People in those bread lines in Texas have freedom. bread lines in Venezuela was all false reporting, too, by our, our military who want to control their what? oil reserve. You know? <laughs> but what's also interesting is folks don't understand, know, and this is slowly coming out to the mainstream, but the, the impact on one of the biggest purveyors of propaganda which is hollywood and it's been that way for a long it's like world war ii you know the, the hollywood movie studios are used to make propaganda films informational films and i remember seeing one clip of after you know the bombing of pearl harbor and it was so racist it was like you know it was this voiceover and like to, to get people to join um the the, the war effort it's like get the jap get it over Mm-hmm. I guess that type of shit flew in the 1940s uh, when they put all those Japanese people in internment camps. But you know, freedom. Um, and and that, that 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 cozy relationship between Hollywood and the military-industrial complex has continued. So any oh, it's movie, stronger, any it's stronger TV, than ever. And, it's, and it's, especially since 9/11. But any movie or TV show you see that you know has any type of military um, action or soldiers or like people playing military soldiers and all that stuff. It's 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 a it's a Hollywood liaison that works for the Pentagon. So kind of like that movie. Be, it has to be approved by the Pentagon. To exactly. Get made. It's kind of like that movie with Tom Cruise. That sci-fi movie. Um, what the fuck was it called? Uh, like the day. Shit. It was a, him and Emily Blunt, and like he's like this. He's a he's a soldier, but he never like seen war because he was like this military liaison to do like their propaganda films with movie studios and stuff. So he's kind of like an actor, but he was like a soldier and then he gets sent to the front line to fight the aliens. It's, it's a, I thought it was a strangely entertaining movie, but basically take away the sci-fi elements and they're actual people at the Pentagon who work with like the Marvel movies because the Marvel movies are definitely like, you know, military propaganda. (laughs) Captain Marvel, like they use like Captain Marvel to like promote like women joining the air force to become pilots because you can be like Captain Marvel too. No, you can't. She took fucking laser beams from her hands and she <laughs> tore through fucking Thanos ship. You can just fly. You can just fly a plane and drop bombs on people, and you know, not think about it. But you know, at the end of the day, you were like, I actually drop bombs on people. And sometimes, you know, like you can look at type in Obama and ninety percent, and you'll see that all those drone strikes, 
90% of the targets were actually civilians, not, you know, bad people like we would we would think. I mean, yeah, it's not just the news. It's not just Hollywood. I mean, they're getting into, you know, video games are becoming super popular now. Oh, like Call with, of Duty. Like, that's Yeah, Call of that's Duty so is crazy. literally it's... have people from the Pentagon sit on with the developers and discuss how. And it's crazy how fucking propaganda it is. I mean, the last one, you know, I think it's Call of Duty Cold War I was playing. And it was insane, the level of propaganda in that game. They literally took, there was an American war crime in Iraq. It was Iraq, right? Yeah, it was Iraq. Um and in the video game, they flipped it and bl- it was the highway of death. So basically, you had a bunch of soldiers and civilians fleeing an area. And the U.S. military just bombed and killed them all illegally. But in the video game, they said that it was the Russians who did it. Because so of course it was. Like, the Russians are yeah, evil. Right, right. America is so, good. Duh. Right. Which doesn't even make sense. It's like Russia wasn't even in Iraq at the time that they, this, <laughs> you know, so it's all so fucking just praise on people's ignorance. But it's just absolutely insane like and this and this speaks to what eisenhower was warning about that it infects every level of society is infected with this and i just want to discuss real quick the reason they're able to do all this is because of how fucking powerful these weapon contractors has become just to throw some stats at you five of the world's 10 largest defense contractors are american companies and they they account for 57 percent of total arms sales around the world so literally, America is the world's biggest weapon dealers. It's one of our main export is expe- exporting weapons around the world. Um, uh, Maryland-based Lockheed Martin is the largest defense co- contractor in the world. It's estimated to have 44.9 billion in arms sales in 2017, and it deals to governments all over the world. Um, and it's basically, you know, it's basically just being used. Um, to kill people all over the world. I mean, their budget is more than the budget of the IRS, more than the budget of the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, combined. So we're literally spending more bombing people. One company where that we're funding because we pay them all, you know, we buy all their weapons. So we're literally paying more to kill everything than we are to protect our own environment. Which God is bless how America. Fucking, yeah, That's fucking freedom how right backwards there. our society So, Brian, one thing you always say is, you know, when you think we think about, we talk about the military industrial complex, and this is finally a show where we're kind of deep diving into it. You always say like, wow, like you hope that you hope that there are space aliens. So all these weapons that we've created won't go in vain because it's like, are we just, we just, we just yeah. created all these things to just fight each other on this floating rock in the vastness of space while billions of us starve and barely make it. And millions of people live in these war tone or, you know, sacrifice zones, as Chris Hedges brilliantly says. And people are fine with that. And people are fine. And, and the thing is, we, we can we can change that. We'll get into that more in solutions. But, you know, they only get away with it because we, we allow it. And exactly. you know, it's going to take regular everyday citizens to stand up and be like, this is bullshit. We, we got to change. And I think one of the most brilliant things they've done is prevent the um, draft. So... You know, once you take away the draft, you know, people are less... Because they found out during Vietnam that the draft brought more scrutiny. That, you know, it wasn't... That, you know, since TV and, and the, the flow of information was easier, people started to realize, like, what the fuck are we doing over there? Why are we doing this? Where exactly. if you don't have a draft, then people don't care as much. Because they're like, oh, if I don't want to go, I don't have to go. So, cool, whatever. It's, it's selfless heroes, you can call them. Like, they just join because they want to serve their country. And usually it's the poverty draft. They come from rural communities. They come from urban communities. They're kind of like, you know, I was told, like, hey, you know, 
one of the reasons why we're never going to get student loan debt forgiven in free public college is like, well, some some people, young people join the military. It's like, hey, you get free college. We'll pay for it. We'll pay off your student loans. Join, join the force. Fight. You know, I forgot who it was. I think it was a general in the military. He said like that free universal education in college would be a bad thing because it would affect our ability to recruit. Well, I remember doing the 2009 or 2008 presidential election and they were, you know, trying to update the GI bill because the last time it was updated was the year I was born in the 1980s. So it was almost 20 something years, 20, 30 years at the time. Well, 20 something years. And John McCain was like, Oh, we can't, well, I guess it was almost 30 years. Cause yeah, I was 25 in 2008. Um, so anyway, John McCain was like, well, we improve the GI Bill and give them more money. More soldiers and sailors and Marines will get out the military. And then we won't have a we won't have a strong fighting force. And I guess it was a great to talk about. Go back to the draft really quickly. It's a great passage in the intercept. And we'll post this on our um, Twitter, Facebook and all that good stuff. During the Vietnam War, the institution of the draft forced the public to maintain at least some basic level of awareness about the war. But the creation of an all volunteer military has made conflicts much easier to ignore as public attention is waned, it became easier for the U.S. government to obscure its own role in helping foment violent crises that have sent waves of desperate refugees streaming across the world. It has also helped deflect attention from wartime expenditures that are now estimated to have sucked up over $6 trillion in public funds. That money could have done much good in a country that is starving for infrastructure and public health spending. While Americans continue to search for explanations for their own eroding national de- domestic stability, wars continue to rage outside the public notice may help explain some of the ugly direction of the U.S. Poli- of U.S. politics in recent years. So we're spending all this money to go blow the shit out of people and make these weapon contractors rich and also expand markets for these for-profit companies and create, you know, to sell them bullshit and, and sell weapons to everybody. While... Our roads and bridges are collapsing. People are dying of, you know, healthcare causes because they can't afford healthcare. They just keep getting sicker and sicker because they don't want to go to the doctor because for one, they might be working two or three jobs, so they can't afford to take off. And if they do take off, they got to sit in an emergency room all day. And by the time they get to that point, they're so sick, they're on the verge of death anyway. So the reason why life here is so stressful is that we're spending all our resources and energy on war such a destructive thing and now with the endless wars the wars are just going forever we'll see if biden actually ends the war in afghanistan and he won't he'll just completely privatize it it'll just be contracted yeah, it seems like he's fight. moving to just completely privatize it meaning he's gonna have mercenaries which is even fucking scarier yeah because they're not they don't answer the to nobody too. at least the military yeah, exactly is mm-hmm. in charge the president oversees that because he's the commander-in-chief and the people vote and elect the president so if the president's fucking up like lyndon johnson like people really rallied against the war. And I think that was the most brilliant thing about um, ending the draft because the draft touched everybody. I mean, rich people could buy their way out of it. <laughs> Just like, shout out to Donald Trump. Shout out to Dick right. Cheney. <laughs> right, right. No, no problem sending your children to war, but my rich asses aren't going. That's for the peasants to fight. Um, but now it's kind of just like, oh, they're selfless heroes and they're going to fight and save America. And like, you know, you know, if you're a 19-year-old, 18, 19-year-old kid and you're just like, I want to get the fuck away from my hometown, you know, the Army sounds like a good idea. The Navy sounds cool. You know, we get to travel to different countries and all this shit. That's cool. But you're also part of the war machine. And this is not to blame the, the soldiers, sailors, the Marines, the people just trying to make a living and, you know, having very few options um, because of our economic situation in this country for many millions of people. But 
the fact of the matter is these pol- you know these politicians never send their children to go to the war <laughs> and if they do I bet they get a comfy job like Bush did in the uh, air base in Texas <laughs> I was in Vietnam <laughs> I mean this might be a good time too do you want do you want to discuss I mean how veterans are treated in this country because you know that that's what's so frustrating is when I you know when I bring on my anti-war views and and anti-military expansion and things like that. That's always all oh, you hate the troops, blah, blah, blah. And in reality, it's quite the opposite. I care deeply. You know, I have, besides you, I have another friend serving, actively serving, serving in the army. Um, I'm actually the first person in my family on my dad's side who's not in the military. My dad served in the Air Force. And I care deeply about what's happening to our soldiers and our veterans. And to, you know, I'm anti-war, but I care about veterans. Our country is actually the opposite, where they want everyone to go to fucking war for them, but then they don't give a shit about the veterans. Oh, yeah. Once you get out the military, you're not. So even in the military, there's there's been reports. There are uh, military active duty service members, low ranking service members who are on federal assistance because their pay is so low. And I remember this when I was, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, 21 years ago, I joined the Navy and I joined at the average the E1 at that time made about maybe $14,000 a year. And you can have a contractor who makes $500 a day. So, so a military contractor can make, you know, a yearly salary in a couple of months compared to E1 for one year. So you have actually, to this day, service members, actual service members who are in the military, who are on public assistance. Let's not talk about, you know, when folks get out the military. So... As of now, we we can talk about the homelessness, and apparently in this, in, with the Corona pandemic, homelessness, uh, Americans are spending homeless experiencing homelessness increased by two point two percent from two thousand nineteen to twenty twenty. HUD estimates about five hundred and eighty thousand individuals were without stable housing as of January two thousand twenty. More than ninety percent of veterans experienced homelessness were men, according to the HUD service. HUD survey, black men, black male veterans made up about one third of all veterans dealing with unstable housing, although they make up just 12 percent of Americans um, population. And I think the total population of um, veterans, homeless veterans, according to and this is from Military Times, this is a source. And they claim that the total means that for every 10,000 veterans in the United States, 21 were experiencing homelessness. At the start of last year, veterans make up six percent of the U.S. population, but eight percent of the country's homeless population. And this is this is not from, you know, some some left wing side or leftist side or radical side. This is from the fucking horse's mouth. This is the military times. So people who serve the country, and there's many reasons for this. And you know, I can talk about it. Um, you know, going to war, people can suffer from you know um, visible injuries like amputees that you might see. Uh, you might see veterans at your local grocery store with a service dog. Um, and then you have the ones with invisible wounds. They might be suffering from traumatic brain injury, PTSD, um, night terrors. Um, these are I think all. That's the most com- I think that's the most common one, honestly. Like I just got done reading that book on Vietnam and they were, you know, talking. He was interviewing family members of soldiers afterwards. And, you know, a lot of them said they, they would just never, ever talk about it. Like it never, you know, never happened. And that was my own experience with my, you know, my grandpa fought in World War II and my, you know, I'd asked my grandpa and she said he really like didn't like to talk about it and didn't even want to mention. I know he saw like horrible battles, you know, which injured, watched friends die and stuff. So 
you know, a lot, especially in the military, you're taught to be, you know, it's, it's hyper masculinity. So you're start, you know, any kind of pain or suffering, you just keep that shit to yourself. And a lot of soldiers, you know, just carry that shit with them. And obviously yeah, and it destroys have, like, your, you horrible, know, your mentality. Yeah. And, and for years, exactly. my wife, you know, you know, I, I serve during, in a war zone and all that. Um, you know, I wasn't on the ground in Afghanistan or Iraq, but, you know, we took soldiers, I mean, took sailors, I mean, Marines to, to Kuwait. And then they, you know, they're, they're unloaded and they, they marched to Kuwait to, to Iraq at the start of, uh, you know, the war in Iraq. And also what's interesting is there were already boots on the ground before it became official when, when the public found about it. Because we picked up some Marines, too. But my wife talked about um, me having nightmares and night terrors. And, you know, I've dealt with my own, you know, mental health issues uh, post-military. And and for me, I was one of the lucky ones because, you know, I was able to, you know, get a job, get a house um, and overcome, you know, some of the addictions that I was starting to build. But there is, you know, lots of folks who don't have and I had strong support networks when I got out. And some people don't have that. Um, and some people just lose everything and they find themselves homeless. So when you see a homeless person, um, whether they're a vet or not, you know, they, they've just been through some crisis in their life and didn't have the didn't have the this the support system to kind of pick them back up. They're not bad people. Um, they're, you know, they're people who made mistakes and because they didn't have the resources that they paid the ultimate price for their mistake. And it was very depressing when I was actual service member when I was a station in San Diego because California has pretty nice weather um, at the time before all the wildfires. I mean, I guess it's still wildfires, but they're getting crazier now, uh, 20 years later from my time living there. And it was, I, I came across a lot of homeless people. I would give them change. I would have conversations with them. I buy people food. And a, a, a lot of folks I met were, you know, many of them were vets. And even when I uh, worked in a soup kitchen here in Atlanta, Georgia, obviously Georgia is a big military state, met lots of ho- homeless veterans, uh, veterans who are unstable housing. And they had served, um, whether they served the Vietnam era or they served post 9-11 or in between the first Gulf War. And, you know, stories that, you know, were shared. Uh, I work with veterans, um, you know, people lost families uh, because they were deployed so long. People come back and they're just, you know, they've seen some shit. And the only time you can deal with that is if you're like that American sniper guy who just kind of was a sociopath. But if you're a regular person, um, you're it's going to hurt you seeing other people be hurt or you like experiencing like a battle and having to live with that, especially if you get deployed multiple times. And that's the, the that's the most damning thing about the, this current um, endless war is that we're sending the same soldiers, sailors and Marines and, and airmen. And I guess space force people, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you call the space force people yet. Sorry, space force, but we keep sending them on multiple deployments over and over again. So it increases their, you know, ability to get injured whether it's the visible or invisible and you have moral injury and we're not even talking about the 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 destruction we've done to the people in those lands we're talking about just the soldiers and sailors and marines and their families in fact impacted here in the states let's talk about the the people who who have been impacted by our wars and here's some information so millions of people living in war zones have been displaced by the war the u.s post 9-11 wars have forcibly forcibly displaced at least 37 million people in and from Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, the Philippines, Libya, and Syria. This number exceeds the total displaced by every war since 1900, with the exception of World War II. So basically, the U.S. is committing World War II level violence around the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's basically what that's saying. Um, and, you know, 
when we were researching this topic, we're definitely, you know, we try and keep these episodes close to an hour to keep them somewhat digestible. But the the problems that this caused, I mean, really, the, the more I learn about history and the way our economy is structured, it really is a death economy surrounded by this weapons manufacturing and and causing war like war is a feature of cap it's not a bug of capitalism it's a feature of capitalism yeah it's part of it and there's so many aspects i know you know lord not now we're going to dig into this topic again i sure we'll, we'll probably do one questioning just war in general i know Lornat wants to do one just talking about veterans issues specifically but it's just you know i i like i always do i recommend people you know read history and stuff and because it's it's really crazy, you know, I just see more and more how deep the rock goes and how this, you know, the even though, you know, veterans might not say anything, how that the psychological damage, the economic de- damage, I mean, we didn't even really get into the environmental damage. Well, yeah, we can, I, I, I could talk about those two things and then we can get to solutions. So let's talk about the cost of war, um, the, the, the monetary cost and, and the cost of lives. And then we can talk about the U.S. military's um, carbon footprint. Um, so the cost of war that that was the other stat I wrote, um, wrote out earlier, uh, four, 6.4 trillion since nine 11. That's what they're, you know, telling us it could be more, um, over 181,000 lives lost since nine 11. This is the war on terror, um, over 60, 6,900 U S troops and 7,800 contractors, um, over a hundred thousand allied troops and national police killed in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, 382 service members killed in the Gulf War. That's the first Gulf War. We got 47,000 U.S. service members killed in action during the Vietnam War. And then another 10,000 uh, plus died from other causes. And we're not even... And then World War II, we had over almost 300,000 troops killed in that war. And almost 700,000 wounded. And we're not even talking about kind of... Um, the, what what psychological impacts that had you know they used to call it shell shock um, now it's PTSD or um, and just kind of the the the, the increased um, need for the VA because of these endless wars and how many veterans and some veterans don't even get access to the to the VA those are the ones who are lucky enough so you if you get an honorable discharge or other than honorable you have to fight for your benefits so sometimes you won't even get that access so this is just the numbers that we have accounted for of vets who you know are accounted by the, the government we have some vets who might not be accounted for um who are, are suffering so that's the the and not to mention the, the displaced people the homelands of a country we destroyed and was really the most infuriating thing and i caught the travel bug during my time in service and in post-service i've traveled to different countries and met people and lived with people and, and lived among the people and you know they're they're assholes in every culture in every country but for the most part, people want the same things. They want to live in a safe place. They want to, you know, have time to enjoy with their friends, family. They want to eat a good meal, drink a good drink, and like, laugh and play and just have enjoy themselves. And this is true across cultures, whether it's whatever the language is, whatever their sexuality, whatever their religion. And it's so fucking disgusting that we could be building peace with all these countries across the world and making this world a much better place and, and actually solving some of the problems that we face. But instead, we want to destabilize things and keep this endless war going forever and ever, um, no matter the human cost. And people are, are fine with that. And, you know, there's there's lots other veteran groups out there. And we'll talk about those and we can go we can do another show. But 
um, about that. So it's just it's just a lot to think about. And finally, the um, U.S. military carbon footprint. And we can do a show about each one of these things individually. Right. Right. <laughs> but the U.S. military is one of the largest polluters in history, consuming more liquid fuels and emitting more climate change gases than most medium-sized countries. If the U.S. military were a country, its fuel usage alone would make it the 47th largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world between Peru and Portugal. So the environmental organizations never touch on that. They're just like, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to just close down coal plants. But the cost of war is not only just destroying lives, we're literally destroying the planet. And as someone who served in the Navy, we use the oceans as fucking America's Navy's trash can. And we didn't have, you know, once you're in international waters, laws change. And maritime law is one of the oldest law in the in the books. I'm not an attorney. My wife is, but she doesn't even do maritime law. Uh, we were just dumping shit there. And I'm pretty sure it was like toxic chemicals and all, all type of crazy shit in the ocean. Because like, oh, well, whatever, it's going to sink to the bottom. But no, it's pollution. It kills the shit living there. It's it's insane. So that's, so that's not only are the bombs killing everything, but just operating the amount of fuel and, and resources they use is killing the planet as well. So what's some so we we talked about the problem. We talked about the military industrial complex. And I know people probably listen to these shows. And I think this is one of the things I think Americans get mad about when you talk about politics or you are a political person and, and dare to be an activist and question like the, the status quo. People get so uncomfortable to get so mad. They're like, you're so mean and you want purity politics and you're just such a Debbie Downer. And oh, my God. And it's like, no, I just want a better life for everybody. And I'm not acting like I'm better than anybody or anything like that. It's just that we we need to question this shit, because if we don't question it, we can't change it. And we have the power to change it. And then people are like, well, what's the solutions? And when you tell them the solutions, they're like, that's pie in the sky. We can never do that. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, well, what the fuck do you want me to do? I'm, we, we, we have a choice. We, we can fucking change this shit ourselves or we just accept this shit and we go down this death spiral and because a few people are comfortable, nothing ever changes. But this shit is going to eventually bite us in the back, in the ass. Rome was burning while, you know, they were spending money on wars and that's the empire collapse. And I kind of feel like the United States is in a state of decay. And the last thing we're going to do is just fucking spend, spend money Spend all our resources on the military to try to maintain the empire while it crumbles from within. Well, it's kind of interesting to me, too, how, at you know, after World War II in the 1950s, the threat of nuclear annihilation, it was on everyone's mind and everyone was on edge. Where, like, now people don't really talk about it or think about it, but that's more a risk now than ever. There's more nuclear weapons now than ever. And it's totally, and we're... We're automating, you know, the systems that 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 guide them and and decide. So you're talking about like Terminator becoming true? <laughs> yeah, like for real though. I mean, it's really like you know. I keep I've read I read an article about how they're you know you know we're starting to use AI programs to decide like when to launch them and stuff, so humans aren't involved and stuff. And it's just like, what the fuck? Did has anyone in the military seen a sci-fi movie? Has like, they seen <laughs> Terminator? Jesus fucking Christ! Right. So I that's mean, not that's not a good we idea. Literally, could fucking blow. Each each other uh, blow ourselves up tomorrow so we need to like really you know get on our game here and, and th- this is not normal this is this is madness this is really fucking madness so and so let's yeah, get what to are some, some solutions, solutions. Yeah. so the first solution and this there was defund the military and i know like last year bernie sanders tried to cut the pentagon budget by like ten, a measly 10 percent <laughs> by and a if, dime yeah. and it fucking <laughs> failed because the congress motherfuckers were like no we get lobbied by these fuckers and they, they lie in our pockets and we got to keep this war going no matter what. Um, 
So we need to defund the military. And when I say defund it, we spend, the United States spends more money on the military than the next 14 countries. So we don't need all this defense to like keep Over us Over half of our discretionary spending goes to the military. So so of those taxes you see come on your paycheck, over half of that's going for military. Yeah, it's not it's not going to the road. It's not going to the road. It's not going to the schools. It's not going to build, you know, um, public schools and things like that or colleges and universities. It's going to, like, go blow people up. So one of the things that we can do, how we can really defund the military, is we need to outlaw defense co- corporate lobbying. I mean, we need to outlaw all lobbying because lobbying is basically legalized bribery. Say you work, <laughs> like, someone comes to your job, Brian, and they want a favor, and they're like, well, put this under the books, and I'll pay you this type of money. You'll fucking get fired, right? But... Our politicians, like if someone wanted to do something for the Sierra Club and I, they paid me under the table and the Sierra Club found out, I get fucking fired. And, you know, our views and opinions do not represent the organizations and companies that we work with and may be associated with. <laughs> so I just put that caveat in there. Uh, but we would get fucking fired. But like politicians, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's what they do. So like yeah, I can be Coca-Cola or I can be Raytheon and I can just be like, all right, we're going to keep building these missiles in this state and this state. And you're going to vote on this and you're going to vote yes. And you're like, okay, cool. Here goes. And I'll give you. Uh, and they don't really pay these politicians a whole lot of money. They're they're, they're cheap dates. It's probably like That's two or so three thousand dollars. Easily they're by dollar. Just yep. like yep. just like Amazon. This is a prime example. Amazon spent over like less than a million dollars lobbying Congress, and now they're talking about we're going to bail out Jeff Bezos because he didn't get a government contract for ten billion dollars. We're going to give the richest human to ever exist an additional ten billion dollars because his company didn't get a contract. Well, boo fucking who? But, you know, and that's all he did. That's how much money Amazon spent to lobby. $600,000 and they're getting $10 billion. If I was rich, if I was a rich asshole like that, I'd spend that type of money if I knew I was going to get that type of investment. That's like fucking paying someone like, you know, $1 and then you in return, like a week later, you get like fucking $10 million back. Oh, shit. That's a great return on my investment. <laughs> it's like winning a lottery ticket, but even more money because we're talking about billions. We're not even talking about 10 million. We're talking about 10 billion. 10 billion is a way lot more than 10 million. Uh, so outlaw corporian, uh, corporate lobbying. Um, one thing I'll be honest, and I used to be honest with the young people I work with who are actually like, I want to join the military. And so I'm like, there are other options. Um, try to, I understand that everybody has their own reason for joining the military, but you know, if people didn't join, the military numbers would go down and they had to reevaluate our our addiction to war because that's what it is and it's destroying our it's destroying lives um not just here but all across the globe and we're and we're kind of helping destroy the environment along with it because you know if you look at pictures in gaza like people are are taking having kids are having classes and bond out buildings and and and, and what used to be homes and it's they're they're learning to rubble so we can imagine the type of ptsd that the people who live in that part of the world are experiencing in other war zones. So it's not just, you know, Gaza. It'd be Congo. Hell, it could be, you know, Latin America. That's why we have our issue at the border. That was the, the Cold War, the result of board games played by, you know, Reagan, Nixon, Ford, and Carter um, during, the, the, during the Cold War and trying to stop the spread of communism by, you know, funding right-wing governments and, and, and having military wants us and having military coups. So don't don't join. If, if you have any other, what are your options? There are other ways to, to, I know it's a really attractive choice. It was an attractive choice to me as a 17-year-old kid who didn't have a lot of money and parents didn't have a lot 
and they said they'll pay for my college. Um, that's why we should have, you know, we should be fighting for, you know, and student loan debt and make public colleges and universities and trade schools uh, free for all people. And that's what our tax dollars should go to. Yeah, we should really have universal secondary education because I do think you're right. I think, you know, because I, I also would, yeah, I promote people to not join the military if that's an option. For some people, that's not an option. The financial benefits are a big reason. A lot of people do it. But if we had universal trade school secondary education, then people wouldn't have to resort to that to, you know, get make a better life for themselves. Yeah. And then, you know, we need to start voting for politicians that are going to, instead of wage war, wage peace, um, diplomacy. And, and I think a lot of our solutions, we need it boils down to we need to start electing politicians that are not Democrats or Republicans and do not accept corporate interests. Because if they accept corporate interests, some of those corporate interests are going to be weapons contractors. So if we want to de- defund the military, if we want to have you know, politicians that are going to pass laws that ban the revolving door, ban lobbying, you're going to have to elect politicians that don't take corporate donations because there's no way any of these solutions are going to happen under politicians like that. So, exactly. And one thing, we one easy thing, people can just demand that we end lobbying. Like, it's it's legalized bribery. It's, if you did, if someone did that, it's your job. If someone gave you, like, a, I'll pay you, if you worked at, like, mcdonald's or you worked at a, a car park store and someone's like or, or or car dealership and it's like hey i'll pay you under the table ten thousand dollars for that you know twenty thousand dollar you know ford whatever or like you can work at some high-end place and they gave you some money on the table and said they'll look out for you and you give them some shit you'll get fired from that job where politicians they do this shit all the time you know i'll i'll pay for your campaign and if you if you if the company puts ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars or creates a super PAC for a politician and you're just a regular old joe and you give like ten dollars to your local politician whether that be aoc or marjorie taylor green or bernie sanders you know whose phone phone call they're gonna answer first that person who gave them ten thousand dollars not your ten dollars they don't know who the fuck you are they're like oh thank you we'll send you a t-shirt where you know mr ceo has a, a direct line to like the president who he paid for his campaign or you know the senator from your state so they're gonna listen to those people more so than you. So if we end lobbying, then they'll be accountable only to the voters, not to the corporate, not to their corporate sponsors. And people are like, oh, we're making this up. No, this you can you can look this up yourself. And that's what we say in question culture. We put the information out there, but you can research this yourself. Um, it's it's not hidden knowledge. It's not you know we're not the druids or some shit. This is this is out there. And if we're gonna have war, we need to bring back the fucking draft. And rich and poor are like have to send their kids. And if some of those rich assholes have to send their fucking kids. Watch out and watch how quickly these wars will wrap up. They can send poor people's kids to go fucking die, middle class people's kids to go die and get fucked up, but their own kids. Oh, well, oh no, no. Like like uh, what Mitt Romney said. And you know what's crazy? The last um, primary uh, uh, season, they didn't even talk about the war. The last presidential election, they didn't even barely talked about the wars. Like in 2008, they talked about the wars. 2004, 2012, come 2000 in 2016, they still talked about the wars. This whole election, it was just like, it was healthcare, which we can't afford. We know why we can't afford none of this shit, because we're all spending on the military. That's why we can't afford shit. So when people are like, we can't afford that. Well, it's going all to the military. We gotta be safe. It's like, you know what? What what do you want? I I just told the reason why we can't afford safe from what you know. That's what's always so. Who's we're creating more enemies by bombing the shit out of countries of people we can't. And some Americans can't even point out the fucking countries on the map. Like I don't know where that country is. They never heard of that country. 
So and that that goes into the current upending the current capitalist system, because capitalism is all about endless growth and infinite markets, and endless war is only the offshoot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just like I mentioned before, war is a feature of capitalism. It is inevitable under capitalism. Um, there's a cool song that I like um, by the band Ender Shikari, and it has a line in it um, uh, that says, you know. Um, we need to add weight to the contents of our pockets. When we see our ba- our banks stagnate, we we um, use rockets to make sure it's our bottom line that gets carried to the high seas. And that's exactly what war is. It's people who are looking for profit. And because of capitalism, it's never enough. You know, so after World War II, America dominated majority of the world. Our, you know, our economy was booming. It should have been enough, but it's never a fuck enough with capitalism. So there's always more to take. And so there's always going to be these conflicts and these wars and these sacrifice zones that we were talking about are just going to keep expanding because that's part of it. So if you really want to end war, you have to end capitalism. And, and, and don't think this stuff is not coming home because it's already here. Um, the police have been militarized um, thanks to a, a one Joseph R. Biden um, back in the 90s when they decided let's sell surplus military gear to police precincts across the country. So small conduct towns have access to tanks. And why do you need a tank against your own citizens? They're not enemy combatants. So you have a militarized police. So you think this stuff won't come home to you. It's already home. And Literally, like 9-11 was blowback. Yeah. I mean, Osama bin Laden was trained by the CIA, funded by us. You know, So that was literally an example of it coming back at us. You know? Yeah. And with the, with the militarized police and the increasing military budgets uh, and, the, and local police law enforcement budgets, we're just in a militarized you know country and state and people are like no we're not you're 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 lying just go to your city budget if you can see it go to the u.s federal budget and you can see the highest line item with the most money taking the most money is always the military or law enforcement and nowadays in this country it's the same thing and we sell these weapons to military and police forces all across the country to suppress their citizens when they dare protest and practice their you know rights of being like hey we want to change our society uh no we gotta keep the party going so only rich people out and the military and the police are used as the right hand of the oppressor so you know people are like oh this is radical hippie liberal shit no it's the fucking truth you can research it yourself think for yourself but you know i always find it funny the people are like i'm a patriot i'm a i'm a rebel but also I support the military. The craziest shit was the, the Trump riot at the Capitol when they had like, you know, um, blue line matter, blue lives matter flags. And if they're fighting with the police, <laughs> but then they're like stomping on police. And they're like, fuck the fucking DC police. I'm just like, but what? It's, it's like, you can't make this I've shit noticed up. That, I've noticed that too with like, you know, conservative family members and friends where they're all like, I hate the government. I hate the government. But then you bring up the military. Oh no, the military is absolutely perfect in any way. It's like, but that's literally the government. Like, yeah, with guns, it's, a, it's like know? a so socialist like, program. Like, Everybody like, yeah, you know, gets paid. Right. Everybody gets fed. Yeah. Like it's, they take care of you and shit like that. If you're a soldier, I mean, you know, once you're done, you know, if you get injured and stuff like that, you know, you got to fight for your goddamn fucking benefits um, and your disability and all that shit. But, um, yeah, it's, it's it's we've been propagandized as Americans from day one. Well, and I even, think that's a... No, yeah. go ahead, sorry. No, and, and your favorite politicians or favorite TV personalities, every movie, every TV show, it's always about, like, you know, police officers or, like, it has some type of military propaganda. I mean, Michael Bay is, like, the worst defender of it because, like, he... Eli, I think he masturbates to like his you know, explosions and military man with guns. Yeah, oh. I think I think he totally gets off on that shit. <laughs> more than a, more than the porny shots of uh, of Megan Fox in his movies. 
I share my Midwest and even conservative friends' hatred for Hollywood, probably for different reasons, but it, it, it does annoy the fuck out of me how, like, you know, Brie Larson and, you know, there's other actresses and actors. I just thought of her because, you, you know, we brought up the MCU. But, like, there's, you know, they, they make all these propaganda movies where they just support the military, you know, just bombing indiscriminately. But then on stage, you're like, we need to think about women's rights or, you know, gay rights or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You are literally part of the propaganda wing, yet you're going to get all high and mighty about, like, these things. It's like, you're bombing women. Like, at what point is bombing women part of your, we need to, you know, more women representation? It's like, But you're that so bomb fucking... being dropped on them will have rainbow flags because it's, 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 it's Pride Month. <laughs> it's Pride Month. So, you know, those bombs will drop down in the name of Pride Month. I mean, I think that's part of the solution, too, is because there's so much propaganda, we need to start fighting against this, and we need to take the military off this pedestal that we put it on. You know, as we discussed starting this podcast, like, it felt even more taboo than some of the other topics, and it's because we've been so trained and conditioned that the military is just holier than thou, and if you question in any way you hate freedom or America or troops or whatever it may be, and that's totally not true. And, you know, we're literally at the point where we're destroying the planet. We're going to blow ourselves up. Like, if ever there was a time to question something, like, now's the time. Yeah, and, I, and as a former sailor, uh, I can attest to it. And even, you know, I have a brother who serves, who's still serving right now. That That's those trillions of dollars. That's not going to our fucking salaries and shit like that. That's going to that lady. I made, like, $25,000 in my, my last year in, in the Navy as an E-4 with four years and. Uh, in the service and you know that lady who made 21 million dollars last year who was the ceo of whatever defense um defense contractor uh raytheon or no was it uh raytheon who made 20 million dollars that i just mentioned earlier in the podcast (laughs) that's what she spends on like her fucking cat food probably right and she's not fighting shit she's in an office she's you know at a golf club in a boardroom somewhere Yeah, yeah smoking a stogie and like you know you know, having sex with a pool boy or a pool girl. It's 2021, so equal opportunity. Right. <laughs> and one more uh, solution I just want to bring up is individual acts, acts of resistance. And I kind of want to just give a shout out to my brother um, for an example that he provided, um, which I was very proud of to call my brother. Um, but he uh, he works for, you know, he's an engineer for a company that builds all different kinds of products for different companies. Uh, they were making medical equipment for a while, but they basically get assigned projects from corporations and Raytheon came knocking and wanted them to start building stuff. And, you know, proud of my brother. He told his boss, he's like, I'm not going to work on this Raytheon project. And, you know, it was risky. He could a lot. He, they said they could have been like, all right, well, you know, we're going to let you go then if you're not going to work on this. Um, luckily, they didn't. He can, you know, he continued to work there. Um, and I know, you know, not everyone is in that position. If you have a family, you can't be, you know, risking your employment as easily as someone who doesn't have, a, you know, kids and stuff. Um, but it was just a nice example of individual resistance. And I think we all can have, you know, we have little moments like that in our lives where we can do, you know, it's hard. He was the only person at his company to say he didn't want to work. And so I'm sure, you know, it made him stand out. People probably thought it was weird. And that, you know, individual act of resistance are, you know, often like that. Sometimes you have to stand alone. Um, but Every little bit counts, you know. He's just one, but it, but if, you know, eventually no one was making bombs for Raytheon, then they wouldn't have any bombs to drop. So individual acts of resistance. Exactly. And, and the last uh, solution, there are many uh, anti-war veteran groups out there. Even if you're not a veteran, you can support them. Um, some ones are called the Veterans for Peace, uh, the Iraq Veterans Against the War, About Face, the Combat Hi- Hippies, 
and there's many more uh, anti-war veteran groups. Um, you got the Left Flank Veterans Podcast. Um, you can check that out. Um, I, like I said, I'm a military veteran myself. Um, I know personally the cost of war, and you know I have family members that serve. I serve. Um, you know, it, it's you know the the movies romanticize it. It's nothing like that. Um, um, it's, it's real lives. People people lives are being kind of destroyed home and abroad. Right. If you want to see what war is like, read a history book written by a veteran. Don't fucking go watch some dumbass Hollywood movie. No, nah, they're gonna make it seem cool and all that shit. I always joke around mm-hmm. with people like, oh, they see the Navy and like the guys coming out the water, Navy SEALs, and it's the people on the flight deck and they're they're pilots like fucking Top Gun and Tom Cruise and shit like that. That's not the fucking military at all. <laughs> That's right. a very they don't, they small. They don't show people's right. They don't show people's limbs getting blown off, guts being blown. They don't fucking show the boring shit. They don't. Yeah, they don't show motherfuckers paying the goddamn floor like I, I've done. All right, so and paying the side of the fucking ship, so it's you know, it, it's it's not it's, it's it's not as glorious as the movies make it out to be, and um, yeah, right. All right, well, you want to get to quotes? Yeah, let's get to quotes. So uh, I'll go. My one quote is by uh, a gentleman, brother from Chicago, named Anthony Clark. He's an Air Force veteran, and he ran for uh, Congress in in my hometown of Chicago. And he's, he's a teacher also. Cool guy. Uh, check him out on uh, Twitter. There's always enough money for more weapons in jails. There are never enough money for education in the poor. Instead, this money is going, instead of this money going to health care and education for our citizens who so desperately need it, it goes to padding the pockets of Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, and Northrop Grumman. And the list goes on and on. And um, so <laughs> there were so many good ones. I settled on two. <laughs> uh, one was from uh, President Dwight Eisenhower in 1953. Um, he said, every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fire f- signifies in a final sense a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and are not clothed. The world in arms is not spending money alone. It is spending the sweat of its labors, the genius of the genius of its scientists, and the hopes of its children. And then another one I got is just from the OG Martin Luther King Jr., who said that um, a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual doom. And I really feel like we're approaching that. I think we're already there, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. All right. Um, so, um, as always, want to thank everyone so much who uh, listened. Um, if you're interested in learning more on this topic, uh, check out our Facebook and Twitter pages, Q Culture, Q U E Culture. Um, there we post all the links, documentaries, books, articles. Um, if we forget to post something and you wanted to hear us, uh, shout out to either Lornette myself, and we'll make sure to share what we were referencing. Um, don't forget to check out Lornette's blog, The Evolving Man Project, his book, Even the Faders. If you're in the mood for some U.S. history, check out our monthly episodes with the two of us and my brother Steve. Um, We're going to be doing a special 4th of July episode uh, about the American Revolution, so check out that one next. Um, And then uh, for our next episode, Lord Nat and I are getting (laughs) a little burnt out talking about all the, uh, uh, you know, gloom all the time. Um, So we're going to, doom and gloom, so we're going to be discussing doing another science edition episode to hopefully lighten the mood before we get back into the (laughs) the thick of it. Exactly, and hopefully this one will have a uh, special guest, so stand by on that. (laughs) Yeah, so check out, we'll have a a lighthearted one next episode, so uh, 
Thanks again, every, everybody, for listening. And remember to question everything. Everything. Any views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Lornette and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Lornette may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.